Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. This week, we're going to go over chapters five and six. But first, I got to introduce my co-host, Justin Mason, indie author. He's back. We're doing it again. What's up, Justin? Hey, Dan, it's great to be here for another episode discussing, like you said, this time, chapter five and chapter six of Sword of Bedwear, book one of the Crimson Shadow from R.A. Salvatore. Now, you know, hey, I'm liking the book so far. I actually had a chance to sit down for a little bit longer reading session the other night, and I read about three or four chapters in one go, which is unusual for me. Usually I'm a one chapter at a time kind of guy. Me too. And, but I will say this. Uh, I'm really enjoying my experience so far, and if it's all right with you, I'd like to jump right in and get after this because, spoiler alert, we did try to record a Chapter 5 episode, and it didn't quite come out how we wanted. Hey, new to this so, podcast thing, sometimes you only record yourself because you know, yeah, that's how it goes. So, it happens, but let's do it. Chapter 5, Without Looking Back. Actually, um, if you're reading the uh, audiobook version, um, it's Without Looking I noticed that too, <laughs> man. They have just in every version of this, you get a little something different. You know, you think you like this book, read it again on audible. You get a little different experience. Erlador. Okay. Summary. Here we go. Growing lichen. The growing <laughs> lichen. Watch out. It's going to grow real fast. Um, <laughs> the chapter begins with Luthien leaving Dunvarna on the Northern road riding his favorite mount, River Dancer. Loaded with travel supplies and prominently exposed fishing gear, including heavy pole nets. Nobody bothers him. The narrator notes that few would expect Luthien to return fight to fighting soon after Garth Rogar incident. Soon after the Garth Rogar incident. Did you want to say something? I think it's really smart of Luthien to do that. And I know we, we've talked about this already, but, you know, Sorry. he's loaded. He's loaded up with gear and he's loaded up with supplies that make it look like he's just kind of going back to everyday life. He's just going out fishing or so everybody thinks. Right. And I, I really like it shows Luthien's worldly intelligence that he has living, you know, in this secluded way that he has his whole life. So he's still pretty darn smart for having really never been that far out of Dunvarna. Right. Um, and also Luthien fishes, which is cool. Um, yeah. As he travels through the cobblestone roads on his way towards Hale, Luthien only stopped to ask a local fishing captain about the waters in the Dorsal Sea, if they were choppy or not, to establish a clear intention uh, with the locals on his plans. So that's basically being like Luthien's like just... Hey, I'll stop and talk to a prominent fisherman. Let him know that, hey, well, how's the water today? And basically, if anybody asks, hey, have you seen Luthien? Did you hear about Luthien? I saw, oh, yeah, I saw him going out fishing. Yeah, he asked me. He asked me if the waters were choppy. He's covering his tracks. Yep. And it just shows, again, how smart he is. So, five miles outside of town, Luthien veers River Dancer towards the shore near one of his favorite fishing spots where he leaves his gear, net, and poles, also leaving one of his wet boots near the water. I like that a lot because just the fact that he wrote favorite fishing spot tells you everything you need to know about Luthien, that he's a fisherman, he's got a favorite fishing spot without having to go in-depth about what's in his tackle box. You know what I mean? And here's the thing. You don't need to know any more than he's got a favorite fishing spot yeah. to know all of that about him. And here's what I mean. You know I'm a fisherman. You know I love the sport. Yep. And 
just from what you know about me, you know I have a favorite fishing spot, and you know I know what I'm talking about when I talk fishing. Yeah, you got multiple so, favorite fishing spots, just like Luthien. <laughs> he went to one of his favorites. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then uh, he treads on as much stony ground towards hail. So he dropped all his gear, making it look like he went underwater. You know, maybe he got washed up. Maybe he got hit by a wave. Yeah. Maybe he got, maybe he was swimming and got picked off. You know, any anything could have happened. Well, he's got long poles and nets, so that is kind of like uh, inferring that he the way he fishes is he you know not only with pole but also he throws nets in the water and then he has to go and get the fish. You know what I mean? So maybe he got swept under then when he was going to retrieve the fish. Fair enough. Then. Um, he travels on as much stony ground towards hail as possible because he is on River Dancer, his horse. Uh, uh, then, correct me if I'm wrong, yep. but does his horse take a shit? Yes. Um, his horse <laughs> does take a, a massive duker. So if anybody was really looking hard, they'd be like, huh, that's weird that there was horse poop right here. <laughs> so then further, so then he goes further inland uh, as he turns south to hide his trail and avoid the town. And then, and then his home as he passed it by. Yep. Luthien heads towards the Diamond Gate Ferry, making good speed with River Dancer, and was far from Dunvarna before he broke for, for camp. That night it rained hard as uh, he thought about all that had transpired, specifically feeling bad that he didn't tell his girlfriend Katerin where he was going or what he had planned. And this is a quote from the, um, the chapter. He hardly felt the chill of... And the wetness, though too consumed by questions that rolled over and over in his thoughts. He remembered the salty smell of sweet Catherine and the look in her eyes when they had made love. He should have told her, perhaps. Well, now we have confirmation. Other it's than, confirmed. other than, yeah, other than the two being, you know, sweet on each other, we have yeah. confirmation that they are romantically and intimately involved. Yep. And, you know, it says maybe he should have told her, perhaps. Well, think about that for a second. You know, if he tells her, maybe they can get that information out of her and find out where he's going. I think Luthien, by not telling her, is establishing how serious he is about this. Yeah. Because he doesn't want anybody to know. Nobody is going to find out about this. And I really like that. Yeah, he's going to meet up with Ethan, and he does not want anybody to know that this is his plan. Even Katerin, who is his main squeeze, who is his girlfriend. His um, lover, yeah. If I think he kind of knows if he were to tell her, that would put her in danger. Because the first people that they're going to ask is the arena dudes. They're going to ask Buckwo. Yep. And then uh, they're going to ask Katerin and be like, do you have any idea where Luthien is? No, I haven't heard from him since he went fishing, gone fishing. Yeah, you know. You know, and you think if you ask somebody's girlfriend or lover, hey, have you seen so-and-so, and they don't know where they are? Now, that just tells me right off, like, well, they don't know where they are. Right. Who's really going to know? Right. So and it was so it was raining that night. It was a miserable night. But it didn't bother him because, well, it did bother him, but he was so thinking about all the things that are going on at that moment that it didn't even come to the forefront of his brain. So after a restless night, Luthien woke early to a glistening <coughs> sunny day. Luthien woke early to a glistening sunny day. He felt wonderful euphoria as he began to realize that this was for real, leaving his home and not coming back, traveling uh, through to the mainland, to Avon, even Gascony, all the way to to Dury, if he could catch up with his brother, Ethan. The excitement pushed away his grief for Garth 
and he wished Katerin was riding along with him. Luthien made great time, as he was more than two-thirds of the way to the ferry by midday, when the road veered southeast, passing through a small wooded region with a narrow log bridge crossing a strong river, running strong running river. As he got on the bridge, a merchant wagon rolled up onto the bridge at the same time as him. The merchant wagon was escorted by a private Cyclopean guard because he didn't. The guard didn't have any emblems, uh, you know, no one eye, yep. no uh, pickaxe with the one hand. Yep, nothing to nothing to signify. Maybe that is a servant of Green Sparrow. Maybe these, you know, and I think we find this out that these are more uh, hired guards, mercenaries that you can, yeah, yeah. mercenaries, you know, like guards, and it's a merchant caravan. So we're starting. This is our first introduction to merchants. So it's like, oh, maybe yep. they do travel with like an armed guard with them. So the merchant wagon was escorted by a private Cyclopean guard who demanded Luthien to turn about. Luthien are. Luthien argues that the wagon could have waited for him to cross since he was faster and already on the bridge before him, but the fat merchant traveling inside the coach popped his head out to interject his opinion. Run the fool down if he does not move. I mean, it's 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 great back and forth. This whole scene here is genius, well-written, and it, you don't even really need much more to be able to see this. You have this young... Luthien's not a prince, but you have like this right. young, inexperienced with the outside world with anything basically outside of, I would say Dunbarna. And he, he's, you know, you could have waited for me. Like, why not wait for me? Like, he's not trying to start a fight here. And now this merchant's run him down, you know, like you said. And now Luthien is like, uh, am I going to tell fuming. him who I am? He's like about to tell him who he is. And he thinks better of it. Yeah. Luthien almost lets the cat out of the bag about his nobility to set the merchant in his place but thinks better of it not wanting to rely on his dad or giving himself away. Luthien backs off the bridge and lets the rude merchant go first. As they pass each other, the merchant stuck his head out to give a stinging insult to Luthien. You ready for this, this stinging insult? Hit me insult? with it. Hit me with it. If I had more time, I would stop and teach you a lesson, you dirty little boy. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, he called me a dirty boy. Mm. Slap him up the face. Luthien had to count to 50 to let his rage subside. Almost a full minute just sitting there going. And the, as the guy just goes on his business, he doesn't give a crap. Yeah, so, He's a merchant. So, so I see Luthien just kind of sitting there like this. like He's like, I'm a farmer. I'm a fisherman. I am nobody. I have to let this one go. And now we go from that scene to the next. Yeah, so he which was one of my favorite scenes. Yes, he had to count to fifty to let his rage subside. But then he laughed at himself, which is good, feeling good that he that he didn't let the situation uh, get out of hand, and that he let the situation slide. So he's like, "Okay, yes. I was really pissed off, but I'm good now, and I'm glad I was." So no reason that, to no reason to throw hands over this little this little whatever. Right, but that relief was short lived. Now on higher ground, parallel to the bridge. He noticed the coach had stopped that the coach had stopped again, and this time the Cyclopean driver faced the most curious looking individual Luthien Bedweer had ever seen. Obviously a halfling, which is uh, somewhat of a rare sight north of uh, Eriador, the halfling was riding a yellow mount that looked more like a donkey than a pony, with an almost hairless tail sticking straight out from behind it. What's a halfling? Uh, What's a halfling? Well, it's like a really short person. Yes, it's kind of like a childlike person, but they're 
adults, adults. you know, kind of like hobbits. I guess it's like a hobbit, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Just with less hairy feet. Well, halflings yeah. can have hairy feet. I don't know. Yeah, they, they can. Yeah. I didn't mean to assume his hair. The halfling was dressed in fine garb, though it though a bit weather beaten. Luthien could tell it was still very fashionable. Purple velvet cape. Here's the here's this halfling's introduction. They go really deep on the type of clothing this this uh, individual is wearing. And to be fair, I think that's on purpose. Oh, for sure. Yes. Oh, you mean the fact that he's wearing it? Or no, the fact that they go so deep on this clothing because it totally fits the character. Yes. So the purple velvet cape, which is very flamboyant, but I love the color purple. Mm-hmm. A blue sleeveless doublet. Duble, which that I didn't would. know what that was, so I had to look it up. It's a snug-fitting jacket that is hip length. Nice. Showing off puffy white sleeves under his silken tunic. Another term that I thought I had always known, didn't know. A tunic is a loose garment that is knee length. So think Lord of the Rings. You know, they're all wearing those jacket things. That's what yeah. a tunic actually is. With gold tassels and bells leading to a loop which hung his rapier. rapier which is a thin, light, sharp-pointed sword used for thrusting, like Zorro. Yes. If you remember Zorro. Of I, which, when, I, yep. when I hear this character, I think like Puss in Boots from the Shrek yes, movies. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I always do. I, I don't know why, but whenever I imagine this character, I just imagine Puss from those movies. I Totally, totally is. I'll tell you why. The bells leading to the loop which hung his rapier, of which the halfling was now holding at the ready in front of himself while facing down the Cyclopean driver. Cyclopeans are a little bit shorter than humans, but they are imposing. Now you and got they're this not little... halfling level. They're no. bigger. Now you got this little halfling, all looking all fancy, dandy halfling, pointing his sword, his rapier, his little tiny toothpick right at the guy. Uh, did they say, um, do we have any clarification whether or not the rapier is sized for the halfling or if it's normal size? Because rapiers aren't necessarily small. And I right. feel like this this like halfling that's maybe roughly half my size, I'm six foot three, six foot four. I feel like this halfling that's roughly half my size wielding a, wielding a rapier is going to be kind of maybe a little bit misbalanced because I don't see the weapon as being like this big. I see it as being like a two and a half, three foot weapon. I imagined it actually being a normal size rapier. And the reason okay. why is because in the next chapter, we see some fighting and it is yeah, tremendous. And his skill with the blade is like crazy. So I would imagine it's normal. The halfling Hi. also had a huge hat with a brim curled on one side. He wore a neatly trimmed mustache with a goatee. Oh, this reminds me. I'm going to pull this up. I'm just gonna I was actually going to ask when you were going to show that. I totally forgot. This is who I think of when we meet this character. This guy right here. Look at that guy. Uh, by the way, this is a character art by a company called Paizo. It was on their art blog. Paizo allows people to just show their art as long as you don't mess with it. But yeah, so th this is this is who I'm imagining right now. So um, he's he's got a, a neatly trimmed mustache and goatee. To Luthien... It was an odd sight to see a halfling trying to rob this merchant at rapier point. Yes, Justin. So he brought Riverdancer down to the bank and slipped behind cover of some low brush and watched intently. When the Cyclopean tries to get the halfling out of the road, the introductions begin. Do you not know who I am? Oh, yeah, we didn't even... Oh, I, I should have pulled that up, too. So that so I'm saying it all funky because it was spoken with a thick accent, and it's obvi he's obviously from not from around here. I am Oliver de Barros, highwayman, 
you are caught fairly and defeated without a fight. I will your lives give to you, but your coins and jewels I claim as my own. And the reason why I say it like that, I think I got to pull up Kindle here, is because the way that R.A. Salvatore writes this character, he's letting you know he's got a, a weird accent. But also it. that when he writes it, he's writing it in that way. The coins and jewels. You, you why don't you talk started. about it for a second while I... Uh... Well, think about it like this. You know, he's just like, do you know who I am? You know, uh, so... Yes, it, yes, here it is. There's very, there's very specific connotations that Salvatore gives us. So here's what uh, here's what's in the book. Uh, from the halfling's lips, you sounded more like you and not became a two-syllable word. Now it. Now it. Now T. Now T. Now T. You are now it. I am Oliver de Barros. Highwayman, you are caught fairly, yeah. And then he says, but your coins and jewels I claim as my own. So I imagine kind of um, a French accent, you know? Yep. A little Frenchy. I agree. Yeah, he gives him the lines. Okay, so the merchant sticks his head out. So now the fat merchant comes back out, the merchant that we met before. Pudgy merchant, pretty rude, but he's got business, I guess. Uh, the merchant sticks his head out and tells the Cyclopean to deal with it. And he slices at Oliver, but misses badly because Oliver is so fast and confident. He gives a flourish with his thin blade and sticks directly into Cyclopean's chest. And that's it. He did. He's let it, He lets the blade bend a little bit. So it's like bowed at this point. It's bending with the pressure. The, they exchange some words. Now that I have won the day and your precious jewels. The six, then six Cyclopean guards roll out of the coach which the halfling lets the bend in his blade release and says, I could be wrong, which is his catchphrase. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's this coach with a merchant in it. That's all we know. Uh, being led by a Cyclopean guard. Then six homies roll out of it. So now yes, we've got six, six Cyclopeans. Yes. So this was a trap. Yeah. Right? It has to be. Why? I mean, there's no room for any actual merchant goods in that thing. Or it's or it's a really wise merchant that's protecting its goods because he knows of Oliver de Burroughs, which we will find out is what Oliver actually thinks coming up, which I thought was freaking hilarious. <laughs> and now we're we're actually treading into kind of <clears throat> fantasy here. We have a new race of well, no. Cyclopians have been around. So now here's another race, but this is like a friendly race, the halflings. Um, he's from Gascony, uh, and that's, I guess, what we can imagine the Gascon accent is like. So that's the end of Chapter 5. It's basically Luthien rolling away, uh, making himself go missing, basically, making great time on his way, and uh, meeting up with um, Oliver de Burroughs. We so, talked about this last time, uh, during the last time when we tried to record this episode, the first time we talked about uh, character building chapters. And you asked me if this cha entire chapter could have been omitted. And I told you, yes. Right. But you lose so much flavor about the world that you as the reader are playing in. There's like, there's. Uh, world building chapters that you eliminate because they just take up space and they're not really necessary. And then there's world builder chapters that you keep like this one 
that really build on what you're establishing and help bring the reader more into your world. I think without this chapter, chapter five is what I'm speaking of. I think without chapter five, we lose a lot of really important information and a lot of flavor from the world. And it dampens the reading experience. Yeah, there's a lot of really nice little details in this chapter that I just love. Like um, Luthien, from Luthien's favorite fishing spot, which gives you all the information you need to know about building that character, that he's Absolutely. a sportsman and that he is proficient enough to have uh, abilities to use the fishing uh, tools that he brought out with him and talk to a captain and it's kind of just normal. So you yeah. you know now you're building that character in your brain a little bit more. To um, when we let's let's go over the trail that he went on. So I'm gonna pull out the map. Okay, here we are, and we're going down to Isle Bedrigan. Okay, so here's Luthien's here. trail. He leaves Dunvarna and heads north on the northern road towards Hale. So here's Hale. Here's Dunvarna. Right around Hale, he cuts off. And that's where he leaves his fishing gear. Then he heads towards Hale, goes inland, and then heads down, uh, totally bypassing Dunvarna on his way down to the Diamond Gate. So let's talk about it. I'm going to skip up to places of note for a moment here. The Diamond Gate Ferry, uh, which is right here. The Diamond Gate Ferry, normally a three-day ride from Dunvarna. The, okay, so now this is where we're going to get some more world building. So three days of riding on your horse. To get to Dun to get from Dunvarna to the Diamond Gate, I looked up how much or how fast a horse can travel typically, and uh, the average Which is horse absolutely something you would look up, of course, because I gotta know. It's like, all right, so three days to get there on an average horse. What would that be? The average horse can travel thirty miles in a day pretty easily, so we can assume that the distance between Dunvarna and the Diamond Gate is around 90 miles. Think about this. If we had a highway and a car, an hour and a half at 60 yep. miles an hour. From your favorite fishing spot to the local ferry, dude. All right. Hour so, and a half. So then that gives us an idea of, okay, this is 90 miles here. So then this is 90 miles. I mean, going to from Dunvarna to Diamond Gate is 90 miles. Going from the Diamond Gate to uh, Bronigan is going to be like a you know, 180 miles getting down to McDonald's swabs going to be another 30. So like you're, you're getting a, a feel for how big this world is. If you're a map nerd like myself, I love books that have include maps. It doesn't even matter if it's fantasy or not. If I can see a map of what's going on, that just helps me get into this world so much better. And so I absolutely love that little, that, and that's a little bit of detail that, didn't need to be said. He could have just said he went to the Diamond Gate and on the way he got to this bridge. You know what I mean? But he did. Yep. So yep. Uh, I got some points to bring up about the chapter before we move on. Uh, narr uh, narrator David Drummond, uh, in the Audible version, set, calls Chapter 5 without looking instead of without looking back. You mentioned that in the beginning. So it's, again, another mistake on the copy or on his part. I don't know. I'd love to ask Bob about that. Bob! What's the deal? Random like, podcast here. It's you out know. of my hands. I wrote it on a Saturday. It's out of my hands. <laughs> I've had a couple beers with the guys. I yep. wrote it on Saturday. Okay, so Luthien's Trail, we went over that. Uh, but I did want to bring something out. Luth uh, leaves Dunvarna heading out on the northern road towards Hale. But what does he leave behind? What will Garrus and Avenis think? So he's left behind physically a bunch of 
fishing poles and, and rods in a, in a wet boot, which and he probably just poop. had an extra Don't set of boots. That. And what? Horse, horse poop. Don't forget that. And horse poop. That's really important. But you'd have to be a very astute investigator of lost fishermen to find that horse poop. So he leaves those physical things behind to give the impression that he's disappeared. But mm-hmm. what will Garrus and Avenese think? I think this is a really good out for Garrus because he knows his son isn't happy. He knew something was going to happen, but he wasn't sure what it was going to be. And this is the ultimate opportunity for him to basically get um, to get Luthien out of the spotlight for a little bit. Allow yes. him, allow him to be like, you know what? I'm going to grieve for my son. Um, who's gone? He's who's gone now? Away. He's never coming back. You don't have to worry about him. This allows Avenis to be like, well, if I have a kid with this guy, even though I don't like him, but if I have a kid with this guy, that kid's gonna be king. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. So, so now this basically takes the scent off of Luthien for a little bit, and Garrus is just knowing how Luthien is, who Luthien is, maybe not the happiest with how they left each other. But he knows Luthien's going to do the best for Luthien. Whether that means he ever sees him again or not, Garrus has now kind of procured safety for him. If Garrus can pick up on this, I think he would. I think Garrus would totally see this. If he saw stuff on the on the shore, he'd be like, Luthien doesn't drown. But I don't think he's going to say that out loud. Okay, um, places of note. Eriador. Uh, so here we go. So some more uh, details and world building. Eriador. Perpetually wet ground, soft turf, can be difficult to travel with normal horses. They use cobblestone roads to assist in travel. So they just put cobblestones in, in the earth to try to make it easier. Just yep. like when Luthien was leaving Dunvarna towards Hale. Yep. Typically cloudy and rainy, even during summer. A cloudless sky was a rare occurrence. That's why when uh, Luthien had that morning where it was just beautiful out, it was like, oh, this is great. Okay, so let's see here. Some fauna. Let's talk about the the breed of horses. I mean, you can't just use regular horses. So they use actually a named style horse in this in this uh, book. I, I don't think it's a real book, but this is what they call it. It's a stallion uh, called a Morgan Highlander. A short-legged, nice. um, a short-legged, thickly muscled white stallion. I'm talking about river dancer here so if you hear color and stuff but in general this is what they're like um white stallion that could plow through the soft turf of Eriador's perpetually wet ground as well as any beast alive the highlander horses have been bred with long shaggy coats to ward off the chill winds and the drizzle on many highlanders their hair was perpetually prickly and snarled but river dancers luthien's favorite mount his coat was smooth and fine as silk and glistened with every movement like the sparkles of a dancing river on a sunny spring day. I like it. Me too. Okay. That's chapter five. Chapter five was a really great piece of world building and character building and description, but it really does nothing to advance the actual story. Correct. So well, as we, an, we get introduced uh, to a new character. You do, you do, but you could have introduced Oliver at the start of chapter six. Oh, absolutely. The, the so, start of the start of conflict. Yep. The only point I want to make about that is I said this before, I'm going to say it again. As a writer, for any writers out there that ever watch our discussions, 
there's there's kind of like a stigma going around like you can't have any chapters that don't further your main plot and i think that is true except in the case like we saw with chapter five here because there's there's a point to where without that chapter you lose so much about your book so i like that bob kept that chapter i like that that chapter was kept in the book yeah i like that even though you really don't need to have it yes but you know making sure that what's the point of this chapter is very important, especially in such a, it's not a small book, but it's a pretty low page count fantasy book. So yeah. every chapter's got to count somehow. And I think got to do something. He nailed it on this one. So yep. chapter okay. six, let's do it, man. Oliver de Barros is the name oh. of the chapter, right? Yes. Let's just say yes. I, I that's what I wrote. Oh. So, that's Oliver de Burroughs, yeah. Yep. That's the name of the chapter. Here's the summary. <clears throat> the chapter starts off at the beginning of the clash between Oliver de Burroughs and the Cyclopean mercenaries. There's seven of them. Oliver uses his sword skills and mount to his advantage, parrying spear thrusts and sword slashes as he was surrounded by the One-Eyes. As he was busy uh, with keeping the attackers at bay, the Cyclopean driver smiled as he pulled out a loaded crossbow. What's up with these like crossbow wielding cyclopians? I, I feel like we weren't supposed to have that. One of them has to get lucky, right? Yeah. You know, like they're gonna be shooting at him, they're gonna miss. They're gonna shoot, and they're gonna miss. But at some point, somebody's got to take a bolt in the arm or something. It's just gotta happen. Yeah, I, I they mean, keep teasing it. They killed Garth Rogar with it. That was a special crossbow. They killed Garth Rogar with it, but it's gotta happen. One of these guys has got to get shot at some point. And you know, maybe this is as established as, oh, here's another crossbow, and watch how crappy this guy uses it. So not yeah. every cyclopean is like that one. It so, definitely establishes a difference between the two. I like that. A dichotomy, Between, you could say. Uh, it establishes the one with the with the little sight, the little mirrors little and all that stuff. And then the one scope. that's just like a crossbow, like pointing and like, I can't see what I'm doing, you know? Like, right. So Luthien heads out towards the fray from the bushes that he was hiding in, knocked an arrow, and fired into the Cyclopean driver to the surprise of both of them, both the Cyclopean driver and Luthien. Because he, he saw this and he just, I got acted. action. Let's go. Oliver, I love this. I love this chapter because it's so. It's every time you introduce a character with a fight, I hope Bob does not kill Oliver. Okay, let's just say that right now at the beginning of the chapter because Oliver, with not even flinching in the slightest, begins to taunt the Cyclopians. Yes, do come on, you and you with the one eye who looks so much like the backside of it or back end of a cat. Ooh, Oliver <laughs> with the ooh. <laughs> Back end of a These cabinet? fantasy insults are on point. Come Bob's on, fantasy man. insults are, are great. Really? Back end of a cat, no? Okay, so <laughs> while he's spinning his rapier distractingly in the air. Yeah. So, man, I know I go freaking too deep in this, but. No, don't don't apologize. What I go. love about this is. Dive in. If I'm Oliver, I'm a highwayman. I feel pretty good about myself. Enough to stand up against the Cyclopians by myself, okay? For fun, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. That as soon as I'm overwhelmed, I'm surrounded by Cyclopians. This is not Seven. looking good. Seven. All of a sudden, tunk, arrow comes in at the Cyclopean driver. And he doesn't even have to look. He doesn't flinch. He keeps his, uh, his head and goes, okay, maybe I'm not alone here. And then decides, 
if there's someone out there that's firing, they haven't noticed him yet. So I'm going to make sure that they don't notice him. So he starts taunting and flailing around and being all fancy with his sword. You know, I never even thought of that. Genius. Because they put put that in there without even flinching, which makes it. Yeah. I love it. Okay, you're, so you're, you're no, you're right. You're you're totally right to go that deep because first of all, if Luthien had intended to kill Oliver, it would have been an easy shot. Yep. Oliver's standing there, he's sitting on a horse, just thunk, thunk, boom, dead. Yep. You know, got no way to defend him, so he doesn't even know he's there. And as we'll come to learn with Oliver, he's he is a man of what do you call it when you take advantage of the situation? I don't know what that's called. Opportunistic. Opportunistic, yes. And so any advantage he can get at any second, he will take and use. Whether or He's not, like Edge from WWE. Just like Edge from WWE, man. <laughs> Chokeslam. All right. Okay. So right, this, let's do this fight. So with Oliver spinning around and being all fancy, this gave Luthien the time he needed to get River Dancer out of the thicket, mount him, and jump across the river to join the join in mounted ranged combat. They still don't know he's there. He starts picking off Psychopian, Psychop- Cyclopians from over 20 feet away until he gets knocked off his mount. So he's rolling through like a, you know, a hun. Like uh, Legolas from uh, like Legolas from Lord of the Rings. Like Legolas. I was thinking more like uh, uh, Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan, you know what I'm All saying? Right. And the Mongolians rolling through you. and just like, <laughs> they don't even care, dude. That... I love the Mongolians stories. Okay. So he starts picking off Cyclopians. Uh, meanwhile, Oliver surrounded on three sides. Now three used still his, doesn't care. Used his <laughs> pony. Still doesn't care. Used his <laughs> pony to kick the attacker directly in front of him. So like this pony is awesome too. Um, bear? yes, he, he like leans back on the pony pony. Boom. Literally donkey kicks, uh, the person in front of him. Oliver leaps off his mount and continues his taunts as his pony gets flanked or his t- as his pony flanks a cyclopean and tramples it to death. Well, I don't know if it's to death. They say in the book that the like Oliver jumps off the horse. The yeah. pony runs away. So now Oliver's by himself kind of, but Oliver knows that the pony's coming back. The pony tramples yeah. the cyclopean and then it says that he crushes his skull. At the end of the fight, we'll see Oliver says that he didn't claim to kill anybody. But, I mean, if your pony killed somebody. Uh, now, this in the court of law, we're talking technicalities here, Dan. Uh, you, can't, you can't assume Oliver's responsibility for something that his animal did. You're right. I didn't kill you. My car did. <laughs> I didn't, my horse did. My car just ran over you. Yeah, sure. I was. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So, um, that's dark. Oh, no. Luthien is okay. So now Luthien is now hurting and seeing double. He, at this point, it cuts back to Luthien in the fight, and he's like, yep. he's a little overwhelmed. Yeah, he's getting beat up. He's getting beat up again. He's not quite seasoned for this. And yet. not only that, he's still sore from the fight from Garth Rogar with all the yeah. nicks and cuts and scrapes. He just woke up from a night of raining. In the after riding hard all day, he just got done making love to sweet Catherine. Yeah, he needs he needs a break. He needs a Red Red Bull and a nap. (laughs) But you know what he doesn't get? Any of those? Instead, he gets punches to the face, spear thrust to the throat. He has difficulty dealing with the heavy blows of the brutes. 
He backs into a tree. Okay, it says he walks into a tree and knocks the wind out of him. I'm going to say he backs into a tree. He backs into it. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what he was doing. So he knocks the wind out of himself. He's not aware. He's off guard. As a spear thrust comes in and just misses him, and it goes right into the tree, knocks out a big chunk of the tree. Yeah. yeah. uh, And then he swings his bow that he still has viciously at the attacker, except his aim is off. Yeah. And he breaks. His aim is off, and he misses and hits the tree instead. Breaking his bow, and he holds it up by like a string and a sliver. I could just see him having like a like a like a um, a Doctor Evil moment from Austin Powers, where he just looks at him like, "Shit." Yep. <laughs> yeah, this I'm would happen, trouble. wouldn't it? There goes my I'm in bow. danger. <laughs> the Cyclopean started to laugh as he advanced towards Luthien, but by the time, uh, by but by the time his, uh. F- fit of laughter had ended. Luthien had armed himself with his sword, and so we know it's on. You know, this la- the Cyclopean's going, ha, 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 ha. And then Not as he walks up to him, Luthien's like, shing! Ready to die? <laughs> Cut back to Oliver. Oliver, no more, uh, now mounted again, made his way towards the coach and heard a woman inside goading the old merchant into killing the halfling. He scrambled to the roof of the coach and got his boots splatted with the blood of the Cyclopean driver, who uh, who then grabbed at his ankle. Oliver kicks him in the eye, knocking the brute down in a crumpled heap. Count on your luck that you did not mess my fine and stolen clothes. So we're establishing that he steals these clothes. Mm. Uh, And that good thing that the blood only got on his boots. Otherwise, he might have actually killed somebody. The halfling said to him, for then I would have surely killed you. Yes. Yeah. Why didn't I just keep reading? Uh, Reinforcing that he is a thief and that he doesn't outright kill people if possible, showing restraint. Oliver kneels down on the roof of the coach, looking down at the plump merchant holding a crossbow. So he's on the top of the coach looking down and there's like a window on the back of the coach and the merchant, the fat merchant's got his crossbow and he's like looking around. So uh, the, the merchant had it aimed at Luthien and the last remaining soldier. So we went from seven soldiers down to one. And then Oliver is looking right down on the merchant and says, I do not think that would be such a wise idea. He heard from above the merchant, that is. Slowly, the merchant turned his head upward to regard the halfling, one knee still, uh, with his elbow propped against his other knee and a green-gloved hand holding the rapier against his face. Uh with his index finger tapping on his nose against the side or against the side of his nose. Okay, so sorry. Basically, the merchant looks up and sees Oliver de Burroughs, and he's going, I don't think that's a good idea, bro. Yeah. And he says, yeah. I don't know for sure, of course, the halfling went on casually, but I think he might be a friend of mine. So again, it reinforces the fact that he's an opportunist and goes, you know what? This guy didn't kill me and instead helped me take out all this... Uh, uh, Cyclopean guard. Oliver disarms the merchant with his sword. He he puts his sword down because the merchant like rolls up to shoot him in the face. But Oliver takes his rapier and plucks out the bolt. So Oliver disarms the merchant. The woman in the coach sits on the merchant and starts calling him every name in the book. With the coach under control, Oliver looks on to the continuing fight and watches his new friend put an end to the battle. As Go ahead. 
can I just say this? This is like this is a fight. I imagine this almost having a flow like one of the first fights in say Pirates of the Caribbean. A fun, yes, uh, acrobatic. You know, it's not the it's not the Garth Rogar fight. No, but it's like a fun like oh. Did you miss me? Yep. Fix the bolt out, knocks the guy down, got the bow, dodges the halberd strike, like all kinds of different stuff going Taunting, on. Taunting, showing off. There's, with like his... a, there's like a fun pacing to yeah. it, right? There, there's never like a, there's, it doesn't sound during this fight like these guys are scrambling for their lives. Like all hope is lost. Like that's not what this sounds like. Well, what I like is it's also establishing the fighting differences between Oliver and Luthien. Luthien is fighting his heart out based on his heart's desire. He, you know, he, uh, yeah. we'll get into this later, but Luthien makes the choice of his heart more over than his mind. He got into this fight because he's like, I got to do the right thing. And so he rushes in there and fights like a normal person. But when you're going against six brutes, they're just, it doesn't matter if you're defending correctly, you're getting hammered. And so yep. Oliver, on the other hand, is doing flourishes. He's doing backflips. He's actually very agile for a halfling. Um, he's he's doing getting all this his, cocky stuff. He's getting his pony involved. Yeah. Um, as if he doesn't care. And it's fun, like you said. So, which yeah. brings us to this next part, which is really cool. So as Luthien fights, Oliver calls out the correct moves and counters to ensure victory. So he's sitting there on top <laughs> of the, the coach going, Hey! You do the parry with the backspin. And Luthien's like, okay, okay, I can do that. I've listened to things. I can follow you, but what is going on? Um, and The funny part is I can actually see them doing this. Yeah. So after feigning that he was stuck by the Cyclopean spear, Cyclopean comes in. Luthien goes, oh, and starts squirming on the ground. Uh, uh, but it's actually under his arm. He's feigning it. How did, the, how did he fall for that? Like, <laughs> Who he's calls a, for that? He's a filthy, brutish cyclopean, man. He's a Yellow tooth barnyard animal. One-eyed, short-sighted. Luthien spills the guts of the last soldier ending the fight. With that over, Oliver calls the merchant and the woman out from the wagon to discuss payment. Cause back to business. Uh, we, we won the fight, so you can yeah, give so us obviously, gonna kill you. <laughs> so Oliver swipes the purse from the merchant and the jeweled necklace from the woman, then tells Luthien to plunder the wagon, agreeing to a 60-40 split. <laughs> Just immediately he's like, hey, you know, I did most of the work, so you get 40%, I get 60. You know what I'm saying? It's not a discussion. Just take what I said and get the hell out. You know? To which okay. Luthien's surprised at how fast this is going. He goes, I am no thief. Oliver responds, you are now. Man, you are now. <laughs> yeah, you just did. You helped me rob this wagon, bro. You better be a thief. I was obviously robbing this wagon, and you obviously <laughs> helped me do it. So you want some even money? If you were just, even if you were just trying to protect me in the process, right. now you're a thief by association. Yeah, so get some money, dude. Luthien asks it. what to do with the merchant and the woman, and Oliver nonchalantly says to kill them so they can't spread the word about them. He's just like, kill them, you know. Luthien freaks out a bit, but Oliver points no. out that one of the soldiers got away. So they would have no need to kill them since the word will already be out. Yes, Justin. <laughs> Oliver is looking for an excuse not to make him kill them. Yes, I'm, he is. I'm reading this and I'm just like, this is me. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, of course, he's looking for an excuse. Like, whatever Luthien is thinking, he's looking for an excuse to make it so. Well, I think like, he's, he like, can... constantly testing people. Oliver's constantly pushing buttons and going, yeah. eh, let's see how he reacts to this. Yeah, let's kill him. And then, like, looks at him and is like, yeah. hmm? Hmm? No. And he's, he really, I think he really has the right idea about Luthien. I think he can tell where Luthien's at and is like, I just want to verify now. Yeah, let's kill him. See what he says. And then Luthien starts freaking out. Ah, looks like one of them ran away. So he saves Luthien from having to reveal too much in, in front of people. And then also allows them not to kill anybody. So he points out that the only person who actually killed was Luthien, which I would argue the pony counts, but in the court of, of law of Eridor, that might not be as, uh, you know, we'd have to discuss it with Garrison and uh, Bruce over in Isle Marvis, see what they think about it. So they get the stash, uh, they get the stash from within the coach, Luthien finding a steel chest. Yeah, there's a big steel chest in that, I remember. Seeing the loot, Oliver points out that it's time to go now. The woman clings to Luthien, which freaks him oh, out. Yeah. She clings to him because, uh, she yeah, he has the money now. It's supposed to be like, uh, you know, it's supposed to be like uh, this woman's just a, a money chaser or something. Well, um, as we've seen a lot of times, uh, money talks, For especially sure. in in some of these fantasy worlds. The more money you have, the more women you have, the more power you have, the more land you have, the more soldiers and protection you can have. The Basically, the more money you have, the greater you are, especially in a lot of these fantasy worlds. And we really see that. Uh, I immediately was like, oh, she's dumping her man who's now a poor nothing loser yep. and going for Luthien now because he's got the money. Yeah. I mean, the woman who was literally just saying kill the halfling Shoot him. <laughs> is now clinging to Luthien as if he's like God's gift to women or something. Yeah, so yeah. this freaks Luthien out because... Because he's already got a squeeze. Yeah. And he scrambles away, jumps on River Dancer, and takes off. Oliver gets some parting words, gives some parting words. Now you may tell all your fat merchant type friends that you were robbed by Oliver de Burroughs, he said as he thought. Uh, he said as though that should carry some significance. Threadbeard. Hey, wait. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. An yeah. even better line is so strong, she purred. Oh. <laughs> Your lady, Oliver began, walking through a bear past the kneeling merchant. My wife, the merchant replied. Oh. A loyal a loyal type, I can see. Yes. I mean, dude, that is Burn. savage. Sick oh, burn. my God. Straight up lit him on fire. <laughs> Get this guy some aloe. He needs to cover his <laughs> Now we his have burns. the money. Yeah. So uh, he said as you know, his name as though it should carry some significance. Yeah. I love how he does that. It's great. He doesn't care. He just is going to do it until it does become a name or it doesn't matter. He's, he's doing it for himself. Threadbare reared on his hind legs and with a tip of his hat, Oliver was off. So it ends with a Zorro where he's like, (laughs) 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 it's hilarious. Okay. It was a great. It was a fun chapter. That was there was the nothing about this. There was nothing about this chapter that wasn't fun. The no. whole sequence was fun to read and fun to be a part of. Yeah, it was wonderful. It got a little confusing with who's attacking who yeah, in yeah, regards yeah. to Cyclopeans and stuff, but uh, it wasn't that important. They weren't named characters. Um, this was more just uh, let's introduce you to two different fighting styles. 
uh, one very confident halfling who is like the coolest halfling ever. You know, you're used to if you when you're used to worlds like Lord of the Rings that they're halflings or hobbits are kind of like weaker types and more strength and will. This is like a dude who can back his stuff up, but is also super cocky, which is very, you know, you're used to seeing like humble halflings like, oh, they're humble, nice little people. No, this guy's a cutthroat and a cut purse. He's going to take your money and your woman and he don't apologize. He don't give a you know what. So points to bring up about the chapter, eh? Merchants. Ever pre- this is how they're mentioned in the chapter. Ever present and greedy, seemingly unliked but necessary. Mm-hmm. So merchants are a common thing in this world, and obviously they travel around to bring the goods to different towns and stuff like that. So they're they're necessary. But it seems like even Luthien, who's a person who would probably uh, benefit the most from merchants, still sees them as greedy and mm-hmm. slimy. So that's kind of interesting. Our first introduction to merchants in this world. Okay, Luthien's heart. This is a point I wanted to bring up. In the beginning of the fight, Luthien follows his heart into the skirmish. And this is what it said. He didn't acknowledge the emotions guiding his actions in that critical moment. He only did as his heart dictated. So I just really like that because it's establishing this hero that, okay, yes, he's very skilled. you know, And I kind of hate that trope with like fantasy books and anime and stuff like that where like the the hero automatically has superpower you win because you're the hero it's becoming a term known as harry potter syndrome which is why that uh, her agents advised a uh, jk rowling to kill off a good character in one of her later books was because nobody was dying nobody none of the good guys ever died and that was why you saw that was why you saw one of the weasley brothers get killed so I like how um, Bob handles this character, though, because even though this guy is super powerful, in the past two fights, he's gotten the shit kicked out of him. And yeah. uh, also not just physically, but emotionally as well. And he ends up just failing at life kind of and running away. So this is a really cool way to establish like, OK, even when Luthien's potentially at his worst, just trying to get back to his brother, which is kind of cool. It's endearing, you know, brotherhood. He's like, you know, maybe I can, I don't know what's going on in this crazy world, but maybe my brother and I can figure it out. Yep. He still follows his heart to do the right thing. And it, it creates a hero that I actually like a lot. He's not, and now it's like, I'm rooting for him. Like, dude, I know you're powerful. How can you use this to your advantage? And then seeing him team up with, with Oliver, where Oliver's giving him like uh, pointers and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, this is going to be a sweet duo. So even if morally their compasses point oh, in different directions, super different. I, I think humanly, they're both willing to help each other. Yeah. Oliver. This is my next point. Oliver, the ultimate teammate. Basically, when the, when the battle begins and Luthien shoots the Cyclopean who had loaded a crossbow, Oliver had no idea that Luthien was there, but knew instantly that he Uh, whoever dispatched the Cyclopean was not a threat and in fact an ally. He then charges in, he then changes his battle tactics to one that is more distracting through taunts and sword flourishes so that his new ally could get some more sneak attacks in. This was a really good point that you mentioned that I said before, I'd never thought of that. You know, I, I, I didn't really think that deep on it, but it just goes to show that when you look beneath the surface on some of this stuff, the really cool stuff that you can find. Yeah, it's, it's cool. 
and it's I got something for everybody, you know. I don't know if it's intentional. I like to think it is, and that's the part of like this, um, this kind of like the summary and analysis that we do. It kind of doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's how you're taking it and discussing it that makes it fun. It doesn't have to be fancy pants. It's like, dude, did you see how freaking cool Oliver was? Like, dude, I didn't even notice that he was doing that. But, yes, you're totally right. I see that. Meanwhile, Bob could be sitting back being like, I just wrote a really fun scene, and it happened to work out that way. Or he could be like, no, I planned that. I wanted to show that. So I'm guessing it's probably that. All right, so Fauna. Viper Snake was introduced in this chapter. <laughs> Oliver shouts to Luthien in regards to his straightforward and predictable fighting style. Do not line up your body with the enemy's closest tip, Oliver instructed. Only a silly Viper Snake would do that. Are you not smarter than a silly Viper Snake? Oh, getting them with the sick burns. Silly Viper Snakes are a thing in this world. Cool. All right, special people. Oliver DeBurrows, halfling, child size. From Gascony, based on his accent, believes himself to be a legendary person. Natural team-fighting instincts goes with the flow of battle, favors impressive displays over actual effectiveness in swordplay. <laughs> Wasn't there a scene where he's, like, whipping and spinning That's his all sword he's doing. all around? And he didn't actually do anything. Nope. He's just, like, swinging it like a freaking drunk idiot. <laughs> it looked really cool, though. It looked really cool. So much that the Cyclopeans are like, why are we fighting this guy, man? Look at yeah. his. He's going to kill us. Like, what is this? Do I got to pay this guy for this show? He is also I'm agile. Not- <laughs> he is also ad- agile, <laughs> being able to leap back and forth easily to create favor- favorable positions in combat. Threadbear, which is Oliver's mount. Oliver DeBurrow's ugly yellow pony who had a hairless tail. A fitting name, Threadbear. <laughs> You get it? Dan. <laughs> River dancer. Hey, can we can we get Dan off the channel? Can we just kick him out? <laughs> hey, these names are great, man. Bruce McDonald had a farm. A clan. A clan. E-I-E-I-O. The warriors that rallied to his name. <laughs> With a black plague here and a black plague there. Here a duke, there two a duke. Of, two of every three are dead. <laughs> This is bad. Okay, stop. We were really dark, this one. So smart. So Threadbear is smart and calm during combat. Threadbear was able to knock several attackers away with kicks and trampled the skull of another. Probably thinks it's a war horse. So just in the same way that Oliver... Okay, hear me out on this. No, I know what you're going to (laughs) say. So just in the same way that Oliver thinks he's some fancy pants fighter fencer dude, Threadbear also thinks he's some fancy pants fighter warhorse where he's trampling people over, kicking people in the chest. He's a pony. Imagine going to the carnival and you know those little pony circles that they, you know, the ponies are pooping in a circle and the kids are riding and having a good time. <laughs> Parents taking pictures. This is Threadbear is the one that's like n- just peeing on the kids and just running around. Because no. it doesn't, it doesn't believe it's a pony. It thinks it's a freaking war horse. Yeah. So I like that. I like that Oliver has a matching uh, pony. Another another personality trait that I never thought of. I never even thought to give the actual horse threadbare a personality. But you're so right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's called anthropomorphism. I think something like that. Whatever. You give an animal human traits. So that's gonna do it for the two chapters, but. We have a shout out to do. We got an email, first email of the show on Random Book Club podcast. 
We got an yeah. email. This is a shout out uh, for Miss Brightner's 10th grade honors English class. Go Wolves. She yeah. contacted us and said that you guys are reading the same book. And then she forced you guys to read faster to try to catch <laughs> up to us. No, yes. do not try to catch up to us. I'm a slow reader. I need at least I six know, months to me too. This. So I feel so bad for them. I mean, I can imagine being like, come on, Mrs. B. Why do we got to read so fast? Well, <laughs> these old bald guys cannot read us. Hey, these old bald guys are pretty funny. You guys. Okay. Let me give you a little secret here, kids. Don't tell Mrs. B. But if you want to cheat, all you have to do is say, um, hold on, give me a minute. I'll, I'll turn in the paper after this next study hall and then just watch our podcast. No, you don't have you to read it. not just do that. You don't have to read hey, it. Hey, if they smash like and stuff. So, um, yeah. So anyway, it was, it was just really cool, uh, to have yeah, a correspondence with an actual teacher who's reading the same cool. book. The, I guess the way that they did it was they, they did, um, they, uh, did a vote on what fantasy book they should read. Uh, I guess none of them really read fantasy books. And so they they voted on this one, which is kind of obscure. So that's cool. It's a great first book, just like we were talking about when we started this series. It's an easy read, and I think that's what would make it attractive to maybe somebody that doesn't necessarily read fantasy all the time. And I always think to myself, if I can read it, anybody can read it. I struggle to stay focused. I'm just like a, you know, a, a 10th grade kid. Yep. I mean, I, I still have the same personality and attitude I did when I was in high school, but I, I find myself really enjoying this world. And I think it's really cool that we had someone who's bringing others kind of into this whole thing, reach out to us to discuss this with us. So that was really cool. Big shout out to you guys. Yep. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for thanks for getting in touch with us, and thanks for corresponding with us. This has been very. It's going to cool. be cool. I think what we're going to do is just once they catch up, they're going to send in some questions. I hope you guys send in questions, and uh, we'll read them at the end of the podcast, just like an email. Definitely email segment. Absolutely. Um, Definitely. So I thought it was cool. I wanted to mention the um, the subject line of her email. It said, "I do not accept this world as it is." Ethan went on, "I only know how it should be." It was a quote from the book. And it was a really good quote. And it made me think, man, I should do more quotes of these chapters because there yeah. is some good quotes in here. I mean, I just do the summary, but yeah, that's good. You can tell she's a teacher. <laughs> my, uh, my quote from this yes. chapter is, your lady, Oliver began, walking threadbare past the Neely Merchant. My wife, the merchant replied sourly, mm, a loyal type I can see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved it. Uh, two really fun chapters. Like I said, chapter five is more of a world building, um, but it gives you so much flavor and so much new context that you really don't want to miss out on it. And then, and it also chapters... gives you, it also gives you really good writing tips you yes. know, for aspiring writers out there. One of the other things Mrs. B said is that she's got a couple students that are writing their own stories or wanting to write their own stories and are kind of asking questions about it. So by the fact that I have you on here, Justin, with me as a co-host is awesome because it's giving them some fresh tips and we're going deep dive on Bob's writing style. And it gives us a really good way to write a really good basic story um, without all the frills. You don't have to be fancy. You just got to write it, have fun and add little, little bits like, Bob is doing and these aren't difficult he says stuff like uh, Luthien goes to his favorite fishing spot 
everybody knows what that means. Even if you're not a fisherman, you know that this guy fishes. You know what I mean? Yep. Stuff like yep. that, if you can add that to your story, is going to make it like 10 so much times better. better. So much more flavor and so much easier for somebody to believe in the world that you're creating. And it's really important that I, I tell my brother this all the time. The reader is playing in the world that I'm creating. Yes. So why shouldn't, why shouldn't I make it a fun experience for them? Even if it's a sad book, even if it's a disappointing book, why shouldn't I at least make their experience better? Word. So with that, uh, we're going to end Random Book Club podcast for this week. Next week, we're going to do a couple more chapters. And uh, I just want to thank you, Justin, for being on. I'm always happy to be here, Dan. Always great to be a part of Random Book Club podcast. Uh, it's been really cool to kind of jump back into a reading with you here. And uh, so far, Sword of Bedwear is a great experience. Like I said, I had a chance to read a couple more chapters the other night, and I am really enjoying it so far. This is fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. I'm I'm happy you're here. You guys can check out more of Justin's content. Uh, he's got uh, some books out. I've got them in the links below, uh, in the description below. Uh, you can check it out, pick it up. He's got books. They're great. I would recommend uh, if you have aspiring writers, especially if they're aspiring fantasy writers, uh, I would recommend checking out the Trinity of Heroes. Well, she did also mention that some of them are anime fans like us. Ooh, then they might really like Tokyo Lightning. I think they that would. Is I think they would. A, it's basically a book written like an anime. Yeah. Just we're nerds. Cool we're nerds. I mean, back there, you can't really see it close, but I got a Goku statue. What did you Goku. say then? I said, you can't really see it that well in the background, but I got a Goku statue right there. Nice. Nice. It's hiding in the closet. You know, you don't want the wife to see that stuff. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah she, you know, she's yeah. seen it. Okay. So, anyway, um, we're on Apple. Google Podcasts, Spotify, tell your friends. Uh, we'll check you guys Spotify later. Spotify works really nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to Random Book Club Podcast. We'll see you next week.